This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, this is James Kenson from the Cash Car Convert Podcast. When I'm not crushing car debt, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to our Friday roundtable discussion. We've been waiting for you, so I'll get started right now. On today's show, from LenPenzo.com, it's Rod Stewart. I'm just kidding. It's a way bigger star than that. It's actually Len Penzo. And from Afford Anything, we welcome Paula Pant. But that's not all. On today's Friday FinTech segment, we'll introduce you to Ross Kimbarovsky, who will tell us all about his new elder care app and service, Respect. And now the guy who we haven't yet let in on the little secret that it's not pronounced Cinco de Mayo, Joe Salcihai. I am Joe Salci. Hi, average Joe Money on Twitter. And welcome to the weekend. I'm so excited that I get to spend a little bit of the weekend with you. And we're going to make it well worth your time because I think we have some fantastic uh, pieces that we're going to talk about. For those of you new to the show, this isn't our normal Monday, Wednesday format. On Friday, we have, as Doug explained, some fantastic bloggers from around the internet. And we bring them on, sometimes podcasters too. And we talk about two or three pieces that we found recently in the media and have them comment on it. And then in the middle, I love fintech. And get this, here's here's a great fintech thing this time. Well, you know what? I'm going to wait and I'll explain it to you when we get there. But at the halfway point, we take a break. We're going to talk to Ross Kimbarowski. So let's uh, get this party started, huh? Hey, a big thanks to SoFi for sponsoring today's show, stackybedjamins.com forward slash SoFi. I'll tell you what, I see these people with student loans and they wonder how they get them paid more quickly. The average person saves well over 250 bucks by using stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi with their student loans. I'll tell you what, we'll throw in another hundred bucks. So it takes not that much time. So if your time is worth more than 350 bucks an hour, let's say it takes you an hour, 350 bucks an hour is a pretty good rate. I say that partly because somebody told me recently, they're like, well, just keep paying. Refinancing your student loan doesn't make you much money. I think everything we do is about ROI, don't you? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash SoFi is a great ROI, partly because also they're a different kind of company. It's, it's not like dealing with your bank. And to see the place where you know they're number one, that's Magnify Money. Here's what I like about heading to Magnify Money. You know when you go to those websites and you have to put in all of your information before you see what they got? Magnify Money shows you absolutely everything that they've got, which is a fantastic blog, a place to look at your checking account, your savings account, and your debt products. And guess what? You can do all that anonymously. They don't ask you for any information until you've already looked at their fine print score, where they tell you how much, speaking of baloney, how much baloney you're going to have to go through with the company to, to figure out what's really going on. The interest rate, the terms, it's all laid out in a beautiful, beautiful format. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money to go there. By the way, if you use our link, I'm a guy that before I became a podcaster, I wouldn't use the podcast links. Use our link. They know that we sent you and uh, helps us just a little bit. So it's a great way to say thank you to us by making sure we're not looking for a new sponsor all the time and we can keep podcasting. All right, speaking of keeping podcasting, let's get podcasting, huh? It's time for this party to start. Let's go. All right, let's... 
kick off our next eight weeks of roundtables with a walk across the basement here. Dust off the shortwave. See, even with a week off, if this thing will go. And I think we'll start in Los Angeles, California, where peeping out of his bunker, watching the neighbors carefully. It's the one and only Len Penzo from LenPenzo.com. I don't know where that Joe, came from. Joe, you're going to get me in trouble accusing me of being a peeper. Don't, uh, you know, that that's, pe- you say peeping in, in, in family neighborhoods and, and people start calling the cops. Yeah, but it fits you, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. Especially uh, bunker time. Yes, it does. Len's like, I don't want the cops called though, Joe. So uh, yeah, whatever pig Latin. Uh, you know, an old guy, you accuse an old guy of peeping, you know, that's all, all the moms are pulling their kids indoors and, and, you know. And you and I are old guys. So yes, that's right. And bringing down the age significantly, there's a segue. <laughs> in Las Vegas, peeping out of her closet, it's Paula Pant from Afford Anything. Bringing down the age and lowering the bar. <laughs> although, although this peeping conversation is a little bit creepy. The, my my first inclination is like, what? Wait, why? Why am I here talking to these guys? Can I? Can I go? Like, do? Oh, oh! Look at the time. I have to go scrub the grout. Yeah, uh, it's that's, Paula. Uh, Paula that, and the dirty important. old men. <laughs> Is that like Alvin and the Chipmunks? Yeah. Paula and the D-O-M? That does sound like a creepy rock band. You know, my favorite, Paula, was when somebody told me that they wanted, you know, they would go somewhere with me, but they had to study for their blood test. And at first, I'm slow enough (laughs) that I thought that that was real, right? I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that's good. And then I realized I was totally getting blown off and it wasn't quite so funny anymore. Somebody really say that to you? Somebody really said that to me. And I've used it ever since, but I always have a big smile on my face. I'm sorry. I got to go study for my blood test. Uh, you know, I would be like, <laughs> oh, I took a blood test once. It told me to be positive. <laughs> but I'm fucked. Uh, oh, she's here all week. Okay. People are wondering when we're going to oh, actually yeah. get this thing started. I'm available for parties, kids. <laughs> we're gonna, and we're going to start off with the wit and delight blog, witanddelight.com. Don't think we've ever been here before. This is a piece by Becky Lang. And I really like this. Finance tips I wish I'd known when I was 20. And I think, Paula, we can all look back to when we were 20 and think, man, had I only done that one thing. Which which one of these things is one that you go, yeah, wish, wish I'd had that one. You know, a lot of these tips I didn't really relate to. And I love her writing style. You know, she had a line in there about like, I realized that you are at like the the apex of health, but like really low on the money totem pole. Like you can down six vodkas, uh, vodka Red Bulls in a night, but a single cavity could bring you to bankruptcy. I was like, wow, that's great writing. And I totally relate to that aspect of being 20. But when she talked about her experience of being 20, which is retirement feels far away, or you are envying all of your friends because they have fancy cars and Apple watches and stuff. I mean, None of that was my experience of being 20. That being said, I'm kind of a weirdo. Like my, you know, I'm kind of like a a hippie who just wanted to backpack and drop out of mainstream society. So maybe talk to Len instead if you want somebody who's normal. Well, I think what we'll do because (laughs) (laughs) that was the most slapstick thing you said. She's here all week. (laughs) You're on a roll tonight, Paula. You know, Len, any of these. You're baking rolls with pictures of me on them? Len, any of these uh, resonate with you? Yeah, well, uh, the first one, and I really should have taken this to heart early on in my career, and it's very good, and it's realize no one is going to reward you for quietly doing a great job in the corner. When I was younger, I thought, hey, I'm doing a great job, which I was, and so I will get good raises from my boss, and I will get recognized, and I will get paid accordingly for doing that work. And guess what, folks? That doesn't happen. Squeaky wheel gets the grease in the uh, job workplace. You have to show your boss why you're worth it. Now, it's not enough just to do a good job. You have to put it down on paper, tell him exactly what you've done and why you deserve a raise. And if you don't do that, you are going to it's going to cost you in the long run because you're going to shortchange your raises. Yeah, you got to learn to be your own marketing department, Len. That's a great way to put it, Joe. Yes, you have to be your own marketer. And, and you know what? It took me a few years to figure this out, but probably four or five years into my career, I every year – I put together all, actually what I did is all during the year, I kept a list of my accomplishments. So I didn't have to think of it right around raise and review time, but I'd have a a list of my accomplishments. And then I would look at my pay grade and I would compare it to what 
I am was supposed to be doing based on my job description. Every time I went in to talk to my boss, I said, look, I'm doing higher than my job description. I'm doing the work at the next level up. And it, it really works. It really does. Because uh, what can the boss say? They can't deny you too often or, or you'll leave. And if you're doing a good, here's the key. You got it. You do have to do a good job, right? So. Paula, you do a lot of work with clients, right? Where you're writing for other various sites, you're doing projects with other groups. I think it's the same thing Len's talking about because I know, you know, even working with sponsors here on the show, we have to be worth it, but we also have to go back and show the sponsor that we're worth it. Yes, that's true. But, you know, that being said, right now, I'm in a position to negotiate, like the sponsors on a podcast, for example. I'm in a much stronger to position to negotiate now because I can pick between a multitude of sponsors. So if one doesn't work out, you know, I can negotiate hardball. And if, if things don't line up, I can walk away from the table and go to the next one. There are some careers, This and this goes back to this article about, you know, advice to give to your 20-year-old self. I've worked, granted, this is only my personal experience, but I was a reporter at a newspaper. That wasn't something that I could have walked away from because that was a point in time in which newspapers were declining. Newspapers whole papers were shutting down and there were a lot more reporters, like there was a massive supply and demand imbalance. There are a lot more reporters than there were job placements for them. So that put me in a weak slash non-existent negotiating position, uh, particularly at this tiny little, tiny, tiny little paper that didn't have much of a budget, which was where I was at. So um, I guess- Recognizing that- If I could add something to- Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There are some times when you just can't negotiate. And that means that uh, if you want, you you have two choices, either stick with the status quo and deal with it. Or if you want to make more money, then uh, leave that career and go to something else where you have more uh, leverage. And I like this first one. Be patient, Grasshopper. It says when you get your first adult job, you may suddenly be immersed in the world of people with money. And I totally remember that. I remember getting this huge raise, thinking I had tons of money, and immediately going out and wanting to buy everything, like one of each, right? And realizing that some of these possessions that my older coworkers had came with time, that was a pretty valuable lesson. Len, when you got your first job out of college, did you have that at all, or were you a saver out of the womb? Uh, No, I was pretty much a saver out of the womb. However, I... um, (laughs) I did realize I saw what my coworkers, my older coworkers were making, and I saw that they were having a lot of fun. So it took a lot of self-control and pragmatism to know that my time was going to come, but I had to wait. Um, and it's hard, especially if you're if you if you're good friends with some of like I was. And I'm still to this day, I'm good friends with my original hiring manager. I'm still great friends with him. And at the time, he was making a lot more money than me. And we were we were best buds. And, you know, it's hard. It's 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 hard to see other your colleagues who are making more money. Uh, it's hard not to want to spend what you have. Yeah, but, I was in, you, I was embarrassed having uh, uh, people over to my house. I remember we had an event early in my career where somehow the thing was going to be at my apartment. And, you know, here I am, a kid who's just got his first real job. And, you know, I've got these uh, chairs that I put together myself. I've, got, I've, I've still got the old couch from college. But, but you know, what's funny. I had to get over that. Everybody came over and we had a great time. But, uh, you know, that was between my own two ears. Back then when I was first starting out, I went a step below Ikea. Like, for example, I remember I made a, um, a shelf just out of cinder blocks and plywood boards. Right. Hey, and it was, it was, it was stylish. It was stylish, but that's, that was my furniture when I first started. That's what you told everybody, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it? My, mine was milk crates. Was it really? Milk crates. Yeah, milk crates too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, milk crate, yeah, milk yeah. crate bookshelf. But you know what? Even now, I'm 33 years old. I've got plenty of money to be able to buy whatever furniture I want. Even now in my living room, do you know what there is? You're going to find um, an Ikea. It, it's not even an Ikea couch. It's one of those like tiny little it cost about two, it cost roughly about two hundred dollars like love seat is not even the right term like that would be a charitable term for it so i've got that and then a pile of dog beds like memory foam dog beds and i've used it i put it in the corner of my living room and i used it to create like a big cuddle puddle in the corner of the living room and that is the only seating that you're gonna find in my living room right now 
Why so do we, I guess my point is some of us, um, <laughs> like that, I guess that's why I couldn't relate to this article. My desire for material things just wasn't really there. And even now when I could easily buy a $5,000 couch, I really enjoy my dog beds and they're nice dog beds, dude. They're memory foam dog beds. But you look at, do, you? Do, do you have friends, Paula, that though, that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but Paula, yeah, my friends legged. love the dog bed. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but Paula, do you have friends? That that was horrible. I, I didn't mean to stop there. Because <laughs> people that listen to the show value friends and I know you don't really care. Right? No, that's not it at all. I was going to say, do, do you have friends that spend a lot of money? Because the, the thing that I found is that, you know, especially like, you know, Len was talking about where he works. There's a little bit of pressure, I remember, just when I work with a group of people and they're all wanting to, you know, go to this expensive restaurant on Friday night together. Yes. And they're, they're doing all too, this, yes. you know, they're doing all these things. There's pressure to have what they have. A lot of my friends come from the backpacking, globetrotting, traveling, like camping, hiking community slash Burning Man community. Like that's where a lot of my social network comes from outside of, you know, the financial blogger and financial podcaster community. And so in that community that I run with, uh, like the, the, the Burning Man community, for example, like yeah. generally uh, the priority is a little bit different. Have you- and if people do own stuff, that stuff is a means to an end. Like maybe somebody's really into climbing. Right. So they've got a great, like, you know, trad rack and awesome climbing. You know, they've got the best climbing equipment. Sure. Yeah, that stuff I was a bit jealous of. So you're not, but. so, 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 Paula, we won't find you at the luxury air conditioned tent at Burning Man that the corporate, uh, the corporate experience. Plug and play camps? Huh? <laughs> plug and play camps, you mean? Yeah, whatever they call them. That's a different conversation for a different day. I have many thoughts about that, but that would require an entire roundtable of its own. But still, let me ask um, you this, Paula. Have you lost a friend? They ditched you because you're so different than them because they like to spend money and you have different value set. Or did you have to say goodbye to a friend because of the fact that, you know, when it comes to our money, we're on different tracks? Hmm. You know, not that I can think of. Yeah. None that immediately come to mind when you ask me that question. Right. She's like, Joe, I'm ditching you right after this podcast. <laughs> but I don't think that a deep friendship, uh, I don't think I would have developed a deep friendship with somebody who didn't at, at some level share my same values and interests. You know, like most of my friends are pretty into traveling and pretty into like being outdoors. Yeah. Because right. that's what I'm into. Well, I remember when I was 20, there were definitely friends who had much nicer tents, nicer backpacks, you know, nicer outdoor gear. That was absolutely something I was jealous of. But other than that, I can't think of deep connections forming between myself and anybody who who wanted the McMansion uh, with the giant blinky diamond ring. Like Let's, that I, that was just, I just never would have connected in the first place. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Sure, but it just isn't you. Those typically just aren't people that I hang out with a lot. Right. Let's let's move on because we've got a lot of things in here that I want to cover a lot of ground. It says her, her second point, which was a tip she wished she'd known she was 20, was don't be a doormat. And I, Len Penzo, fell, fell victim to this one too. It says, that said, you don't deserve to struggle just because you're young. I also thought I had a little bit of the hero's journey going on. I remember the number one advisor in the nation for the company that I was working with, American Express, uh, was a friend of mine, and he was going to allow me to work on his team. And we had this talk back and forth, and I explained to him about how there was value about learning how the wheel was made. In hindsight, nearly 50-year-old me thinks, if I had learned how the wheel was made from him... I would have gotten where I wanted to go much faster, right? If I would have accepted that mentorship and then gone on from there. Did you suffer from that also? No, I didn't. But but <laughs> there are people, and I'm dealing with a young engineer right now who's thinking, well, I guess this is going against what this person's saying. This person's saying, don't be a doormat and right. you know move on when you right. need to. Uh, right. but, 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 but he is following the dollars and not... The career, and I've and I had actually had a heart to heart with him uh, just today on this. And sometimes you've got to sacrifice dollars for the long term 
outlook, the big picture. And when you're in your 20s and you're just starting out, it's hard to see that. It's hard to think career. And you're when you're just trying to get as much money as you can, you know, so you, so you have a little more fun and a little more resources to do things. But sometimes you've got to step back and you've got to look at the big picture and your your life plan and what do you want to do? And you've got to you've got to really have a heart to heart with yourself. Sometimes it's worth not going for that extra dollar if you can learn from that mentor and pick up some great nuggets of experience because you'll make it back up in spades a couple of years down the road. It's so amazing. Yeah. And I guess I, I took that and twisted a little bit. I went with what the first line said, which is you don't deserve to struggle. But you're right. I was never a doormat either. I was basically telling the guy, I'm not going to be a doormat. I'm going to go do what I'm going to do and screw you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Paula, the stuff that Len's talking about, he's talking about in the corporate world. Man, it's the same. It's the same when you're an entrepreneur, right? Where you've got these people that are promising you, well, we're not going to pay you much or anything, but you're going to get exposure, right? Versus I need mm. cash today to live. Like, where do you draw that line? Oh, yeah, that is a great point. I, I definitely fell prey to a couple of uh, writing for free in exchange for the exposure. You know, fortunately, I didn't do too much of that, but I definitely, there are definitely like, four or five articles floating around out there somewhere that I wrote for free, like way back in the day for quote unquote exposure. But there's, so, yeah. well, but there's gotta be times when the exposure is enough where you go, yeah, like how do you, how do you decide that this opportunity isn't worth it? And this one is because you and I both, we do things for exposure. I mean, just, you know, as, <laughs> as an example, well, as Easy an example, now. <laughs> What about that peeping comment from earlier? (laughs) Yeah, you see, there is a theme building here. Right, right. We need our engineer. (laughs) We need our engineer Steve to put some some beeping going on the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need some beeping sounds. Beep, beep, beep. As we back up off that. But you know what I'm talking about? Like, like as an example, I enjoy coming on the Afford Anything show. I love the Mm -hmm. fact that you have me on. You don't pay me anything. I have you on this show. I don't pay you anything. We have fun together. But how is that different? I think when you and I get on each other's podcasts, we are promoting, we're we're like promoting a a brand. And that's different than being a freelancer who is trying to get clients. It's sort of a subtle difference. But one is essentially one is a form of self-employment and the other is building a business and doing marketing for that business. I totally see the line. And that is a hard line though, isn't it? It's a tough line. Yeah, it is. It took me a long time to learn the difference between self-employment versus owning a scalable business. Yeah, Um, me too. You know, because those often, yeah, those often get lumped together in the same conversation and at their core, they're very different. Her third point here is asking for the money you deserve gets easier every time you do it. Paula, will stick with you. I totally, totally believe that. When I first stepped up and asked for the money I deserve from my boss. I was shaking. It was tough. And then the older I get, the more I'm like, screw it. Here's what I'm worth. (laughs) Have you heard of something called rejection therapy? No. (laughs) Where somebody just berates (laughs) you over and over and over? Well, uh, the idea is that you constantly and systematically put yourself in situations where you ask for something in which you have a high likelihood to get rejected. Like you go to Starbucks and you order a coffee as they're ringing you up, you say, hey, by the way, could I get that for free? And and you have a high probability of the person saying no, but it trains you to ask for what you want and emotionally handle the no that comes forward. Did you do it? No. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued by the prospect, but I'm also, uh, I don't know, fearful of it. So I, I've been reading about it. I think it's fascinating, but I have never systematically tried it yet. The older I get, I'd definitely be open to doing it. Well, that's what I was going to say, Paula. The older I get, too, the more open I am to being a guinea pig, to saying, you know what, screw it. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna try this thing out and see how it works. And it's funny. The more I'm a guinea pig, the more I learn about the, you know, where the boundaries really aren't. That they're between my ears. Mr. Penzo, how about you? Asking for more money, does that get easier every time for you? You, you were okay with this at age 20. Give me more money, well, damn it. No, but to go into Paula's rejection therapy thing, I, you know, I, I got a lot of that in high school, asking all the pretty <laughs> girls out and they, you know, they, they didn't want anything to do with a nerd. So that I got lots of that, lots of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great start for your career. That's what you're saying. But I wasn't afraid. Right. Any, any young people listening to this, just ask a bunch of women out, get rejected. And your life is going to be sweet. Is that the lesson? 
That's the lesson. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I, think we're, I think we're moving on. You could try exposing yourself and seeing uh, <laughs> oh, here seeing we what go. comes from that. <laughs> yeah, go to the next level. Paula's, Paula Double Dog dares you. Uh, we we got to move on. I gotta, either that or I got to go wash. Next is uh, realize no one's going to reward you for quietly doing a great job in the corner. We talked about that. You got to be your marketing department. Talk about money with everyone. Paula, when I read this one, at age 20, talking about money with everyone, I think is the best advice ever. Yeah, it's awesome. It, you know what? Maybe I'm just completely oblivious. I, I had no idea that talking about money was supposed to be off limits or taboo. So I've always talked about money openly and frankly with everyone, which I mean, granted, I then am the type of person who later in life decided to become a finance blogger and podcaster. So I'm probably not representative of the average American. (laughs) But yeah, I've always enjoyed money conversations and I've probably completely overlooked a bunch of social cues that said that I shouldn't be doing that. (laughs) Len, how about you? Do you, uh, you talk about money with everybody when you were 20 though? Yeah, I did. You know, I was always just because I was inquisitive. I'd always say, hey, would you pay for that? Or, you know, hey, you know, what'd you get? I never had qualms asking people about their finances. And and most of the time I got slapped down. You know, it is it's socially not acceptable for most people don't even they, they think you're rude when you ask a question. But I just generally want to know, because you know why? The more information you have, the smarter decisions you can make. Right. So that's why that's why. And I'll go back to the corporate world. And I apologize to all your listeners, Joe, that I keep talking, going back to the corporate world. But that's why our corporate masters, they want to keep everybody's salaries a secret, because if everybody's in the dark, nobody knows if they're getting paid what they really deserve. So the more information you have the better decisions you can make. So I was always asking questions like that and I'd get a lot of cross-eyed looks, but you know what? It's just the inquisitiveness in me. I want to ask about this next one and we're going to skip down a little bit. I love a couple of these, which will uh, I'll just spend a second on. You'll never make the money you want if you don't take chances. We probably talk about that for an entire episode. I'm going to skip mm-hmm. that one. You can invest even if you're not rich, man, 21 or 20 year olds need to know that that's huge. But inventory your interest rates. I thought, Paula, this was amazing. Like at age 20, had I known that looking at my interest rates was important, that, that would have been that would have been fantastic. You know, you did. Yes, I think that's good advice. You did. <laughs> you looked at your interest rates at in 20, well, didn't you? I, I didn't have any debt, so I had no interest rates to look at. Money must have been a topic mm-hmm. in your household then. Your parents must have talked about money right in front of you and you had money lessons. Is that true? Well, you know, uh, we didn't talk too much about it, no, but in Nepalese culture, I I grew up in a Nepalese American household and uh, in the Nepalese culture, debt isn't, um, it's not as socially acceptable as it seems to be in American culture. And so uh, I just assumed that most people did not have debt other than a mortgage and, and that debt was something that people only went into under dire emergency last case resort worst scenario situations. Um, And I held that assumption for a very long time. So again, I wouldn't say that I was smart about money so much as I was just naive. Had I known that debt was an option, I might've gone into it, but I literally had no idea that that option was even on the table. Okay. But then sticking with you, if we scroll Mm -hmm. down a little bit in this piece, it says credit cards are not just for shopaholics. And that's something you know, I had a credit card right out of college. I lost it because I did not grow up in a Nepalese culture. I thought that you could put everything on there. You didn't have to pay it back. Who knew, right? So I had to learn how to live a cash lifestyle. But this whole idea that credit cards aren't just for shopaholics, that you can actually get some points out of these things. Did you embrace that then because you didn't have a debt culture or a debt upbringing? Or did you say, well, credit cards, no, thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a credit card. I had one card. It was a United College Mileage Plus card. So I got like half a mile for every dollar I spent. And yeah, I used it all the time. I thought it was a fantastic thing to use as a proxy for cash because number one, I got some miles from it. Number two, it spared me from carrying a bunch of cash around, which I would invariably lose because I'm absent-minded and I tend to lose things, sunglasses, keys, wallet. So yeah, I used that a bunch. But again, I just assumed that everybody was running home and paying off their credit card in full every month. In the absence of any information to the contrary, I just assumed that's what everybody did. That's right, in a vacuum. Every, everybody doesn't like you do. <laughs> Len, though, you were doing it like Paula was too, weren't you? I've never paid interest on credit cards anyways. I, I just, never. 
It's just the whole thought of it. I mean, when you look back and you see the interest rate you pay, I was never willing to do that. It's just, it's almost an insult paying somebody uh, the interest rate. So I've always stayed away from that. So, you know what? I remember back, uh, here's the old guy, I mean, again. So 20 years ago, when going back to that uh, inventorying your interest rates, I remember going to buy a new car for the family. We're going to get a minivan. And I was actively watching the interest rates fluctuate from week to week because if they went up or down, it would make a difference on whether I'd even be able to get a good enough loan for my car. Wow. So, you know, and now, and then this girl here who's writing, she said she got a 0.9% interest rate on her, uh, on her car. Yeah. I'm like, geez, Louise. I, I remember they were, I was looking at 7%, seven and a half, eight, 9% interest on a car. You think how that impacts your payments, folks. Paula, don't you like Grandpa Lennon and his stories? <laughs> <laughs> Back in the day. Outside of credit cards, we, we are, are spoiled with these low interest rates. Yes. Let me tell you. Yes. Oh, well, well, you say spoiled, though. But well, Len, yeah, don't take that the wrong way. No, exactly. That gets to her next point, which is aggressively pay those f- off, which I, which I absolutely love that too, because like you said, people do take that the wrong way. They're like, Oh, look, the interest rates, nothing. Let's go borrow some money. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. The bottom line is you still have to be able to pay it off from your income. You don't want to put yourself in a hole. So, uh, yeah, it's not just an invitation to borrow if you can't afford it in the first place. I was really excited about this, and I think, uh, I agree, Paula, I thought this was a really well-written piece, and so we'll link to it on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. There's a few more points here, uh, which are to actually look at your account balances, even if it's scary. I know people that just don't look at the balance, it's not going to be there. Avoid comparing yourself to friends. You don't know their whole situation. That's true. It was amazing, by the way, when I became a financial planner, how many people got inheritances, you know, and and they would lord it over you with all of their stuff and act like they were doing great because they had all this stuff. And then you find out when you look behind the curtain that, no, that, that you know, that stuff came from other people, not from their good habits. And then I like the last point. Don't be too hard on yourself. It says here that, uh, Becky Lang is an occasional podcaster, so maybe we'll have to have her join us sometime. Hey, got to take a quick break in our awesome discussion with Len and Paula. I sometimes like these smaller discussions with uh, people that know each other as well as Len and Paula and I do. Obviously, three people that have been doing this together now for quite, quite a long time, and I love it. In fact, when we found out that Greg couldn't make it at the last minute... I initially thought I'd scramble and find, uh, you know, there's there's so many great people we can introduce you to, and I love doing that. But I thought, you know what? I just feel like hanging out with good friends today. I also think that a great, it's a horrible segue, that it's great for people to head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Because if you're going to just walk into your bank and ask them for some product, right? Why, why wouldn't you instead take a look at all of the things that are out there. And a Reddit user recently said that 92% of the stuff that's out there, you can find on Magnify Money, whether it's checking accounts, savings accounts, 0% interest credit card offers. And by the way, those aren't, of course, 0% forever. They're great balance transfer options or maximum points. If you pay off your card every month, getting those maximum points, that's only good if you do pay off your cards every month. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, the place to go to get that done. And then we're also very thankful for SoFi. You know, SoFi is a different kind of company. And I said that at the beginning of the show, here's how they different. They talk about working with members. It almost, it is in fact, in some ways it reminds me of Disney, right? Where they have cast members, not employees and everything is a show and you make sure that people get stuff. So it's funny, they'll help you find a job. They have a whole department that helps people make sure that they can get jobs and makes them more marketable. Why is that? Well, it helps SoFi because they pay their loan on time, but banks don't think that far ahead, but SoFi does. So whether it's your student loan refinance, a personal loan to get those credit cards under control, or a mortgage, stackybenjamins.com forward slash SOFI, they'll throw in $100 extra on top of all the money that they'll save you. Whether it's a personal loan or a student loan, they can't do it for mortgages, that's against the rules. They'll throw in that extra hundred chuching stackybenjamins.com forward slash SOFI. All right. I'll tell you what I really like about this app. As someone who's worked with people that know that their relatives, their older relatives, maybe mom or dad need care, grandma, grandpa need care. 
you always worry because these companies just send out random people. So I was really excited when I heard about Respect, which we're going to hear about more coming up here in just a second from Ross, that you can actually have this app on your phone that's a little like Uber. You know, when the person gets there, you know exactly what the deal is. It is fascinating to me that somebody would actually think about something like Uber, but in terms of this thing that for me is way, way, way more important than a car ride. So let's say hello to Ross Kimbarovsky from Respect. And from Respect, Ross Kimbarovsky joins us. Welcome to the basement, man. I absolutely love having you here because this is a topic we don't get to talk about much. But I guess in the way of introduction, you were a co-founder. Tell me if I have this right. You're a co-founder of Respect because of a very personal situation that happened with your grandfather? That's right. My grandfather, a few years back, was in his late 80s and was diagnosed with a very serious terminal cancer. Uh, My mom and I were his primary caregivers. You know, as we get older, we start needing a little bit more help. He was living independently and we continue to help him uh, for the last six months of his life. He moved in with my parents who were close to me. But but it was a struggle for us because on any given day, we might need to leave our work or not go into work in order to help care for him. And when we were looking for some help from professional caregivers, it was a very frustrating experience because we just could not find people that we can trust. Uh, cost was very high. We couldn't find people we can trust or who my grandfather would would actually like. And in thinking through that problem, which is a growing problem that's impacting many, many families here in the U.S., I wondered, why does the home care business today look like it did 30, 40 years ago? We have so many new resources, technology, and a new way of thinking about these businesses. And so Bruce Masterson, my partner, and I started working on a business that reimagines home care for the 21st century. And right now you're in Chicago and Milwaukee? Correct. Those are our first two markets. Our uh, headquarters are in Chicago. Uh, We wanted to start in the Midwest. This is a national problem. So uh, whether you're living in North Dakota or in Manhattan uh, or Chicago or Milwaukee, you are facing this problem. And it's only going to get worse just to give you a a sense of of the gravity of the problem. Within the next 25 years, uh, 25 to 30 years, the number of Americans over the age 65 is going to more than double which means there's pressure on our healthcare system and pressure on families who will need to take care of their loved ones who are older, who want to live independently, but who are going to need help. No, I don't know if you know this, Ross, but we're here in the basement. We're like Peter Pan. We're never going to grow up. <laughs> well, uh, I, I've always dreamt, uh, although I missed my opportunity to be on, on Wayne's World. So so I'll take any basement uh, uh, at this point. If we can get any magic uh, at all. Right. I have a question for you about the original discussion, because I totally agree with you. Finding people, when I was a financial planner, Ross, finding people was such a bear, which is why I was so happy to hear about your company. But just getting your grandfather to realize and to have that discussion with him about getting help. Did he bring it up or did you have to bring it up? How did that conversation even start? We brought it up and and that's very typical in family. So this is a, a tough conversation for people to have because generally older people, when they can, prefer their independence. I mean, we want to age gracefully in the comfort of our own homes. And so we always believe that we're superhuman and can do anything. But the reality is, as we grow older, we need more help. Medicine has helped us to grow older, to be a little bit healthier. And so fewer people need to go, for example, into a retirement home at an earlier age, as used to be the case. But that's still a very tough conversation. And so we had to bring it up, as I think most families do, and talk about the fact that it was a huge impact on, on, on our family. And, and this is not this is not opaque to the loved ones who are getting this care. So my mom and I were investing a lot of time, and my grandfather certainly appreciated that it was a significant effort. So he also would have liked to see some solution that would have helped Sure. And especially a solution that keeps him in his home, if possible. That's exactly right. So this is this is what we found with him in particular and and many people who want that independence. And what we found when we looked at the market is is both sides of the market were, were broken. So I mentioned earlier that we were frustrated as a potential client 
looking for caregivers because we couldn't find something that was affordable, somebody who was trustworthy, a way for us to continue to stay involved with the care. But the other side of the market is equally broken. A lot of underpaid caregivers, uh, a lot of people are mistreated in the industry. Uh, so there's not a lot of respect and a tremendous amount of turnover. And if you run any business, you know that if your employees are changing every three to six months, there's no way to build a good business. That also, though, comes out in the care, I think, to your grandfather, right? If he's got turnover of 50 different people, he's not feeling comfortable with the third person this year to come in and help him around the house. And that's exactly the frustration that we felt. So, so when we were building our business, we really focused on on some of these points. We wanted to create something affordable. We we wanted to build technology. So so respect provides care with the aid of of mobile apps for iOS and Android, where you as a family of the care recipient are able to stay completely involved in their care. You know exactly in real time where the caregiver is. You can communicate back and forth with them, get photos. And so there's this expectation of trust and back and forth information that you just don't get with traditional care agencies. Oh, so that's cool. So you'll know exactly when the caregiver's there. How does, I guess I should have you start at the beginning, Ross, because your system's pretty innovative. How does respect work? So we started with the premise that one of the problems we had to solve was was to provide trustworthy, affordable care and get, give families peace of mind. First of all, we hire uh, less than 5% of the people who apply to work for respect, going back to this premise that we want the very best of the best. Over 90% of our caregivers have some kind of a professional certification, such as a certified nursing assistant or a home health aide. We have probably the strictest standards in the industry in terms of experience and background checks and other things. Again, going back to our own frustration that we didn't want just a stranger to show up in my grandfather's home. We build mobile apps for iOS and Android phones. So any mobile device, uh, any tablet, you can schedule your job. You can schedule a one-time job. You can schedule a job every day for the next five years, however you want. And when, when you schedule a job, we actually use a proprietary algorithm to match you with a group of caregivers that are going to have the kinds of skills that your loved one will need. So some people have families with, with Alzheimer's or, or certain kinds of conditions that require a sp- special level of experience. So we actually show you uh, high-definition videos. We give you a choice of, of caregivers. You get to watch high-definition videos and, and take a look at them. And if the caregiver speaks a particular language, we ask them to speak in that language during the interview this high-definition video, that's very different from the existing marketplace where you call an agency and they say, I'll send somebody over. You have no idea who that person is. You don't know their background. You don't get a chance to see them. Your loved one doesn't get a chance to see them. And then when the care starts, you'll see a live map on your mobile app that tells you where the caregiver is. You'll know when the job has started. They'll communicate notes back and forth throughout that job. So you'll have peace of mind that somebody's there caring for your loved one when you're not able to do that. When a nurse goes through your process or a caregiver, excuse me, goes through your process, you say that you weed out 95% of the people. And a lot of people obviously are listening to this. They're not in communities that you service. What are some of the things that really are red flags for you that mean, you know, this isn't really a person that respect wants to stand behind. So thinking as both a founder of a company that provides this, but also as a potential client, if I'm looking for for help with my loved ones, you know, one of the first things you're looking for is somebody who's trustworthy. You want somebody who's going to create a safe, nurturing environment for your loved one. You want somebody who is respectful. So um, in part, the reason we do videos is to give you a sense of how that person communicates. You find somebody that's compassionate, and it's one of the reasons why we, we ask for a minimum of two years home care experience, because somebody has never cared for an elderly person, it could be tough. Uh, Not only are there certain kinds of health conditions that ultimately as you get older, you start experiencing, but there are also changes in the brain and and other things that, that change our personalities. And so you have to have a level of compassion and empathy. Um, You have to be friendly. Uh, because at the end of the day, you want the person receiving the care to, to be able to smile. You want somebody that's punctual. This is one of the most important things, because if I'm caring for my loved one, I know how important it is for me on, to be on time. But but if I ask somebody else to do it, I want to be comfortable that if they need to be there by 10 a.m., that they're there by 10 a.m. And you want somebody who's a good communicator. So one of the biggest reasons we don't hire people 
are people who are just not able to communicate clearly or people that that show us after just a few times that they're not reliable. So people looking for home care in other places around the country really should focus on those kinds of attributes, trust, respect, compassion, friendliness, punctuality, and, and communication. You guys also have a new model kind of of how to pay for this type of service. Tell me about that. We do. So one of our frustrations in looking, and, and, and my partner Bruce had the same experience with, with his own parents and in-laws, was that everybody was quoting different prices. They depended on a certain number of minimum hours. There were different pricing on weekends and the evenings. And so our model is very clean and, and, and simple. It's $25 per hour in Chicago. It's $24 per hour in Milwaukee. If it's care on a Saturday for five hours, it's $25 an hour. If it's care on a Monday, it's $25 an hour. Because families need to have some expectation of what care will cost. And if a family can't figure it out, when we were trying to find caregivers, we just couldn't figure out what the price would be. So we wanted to make it very clear in advance and we made it easy for families to split the cost of care. So if you have, for example, two siblings who live in different places who uh, who wanna share in the cost of a care for their parent, very easy for them to do through our app. Wow, that's, and I'll have uh, links to respect the site is joinrespect.com, and I'll have links on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Well, Ross, I'm, I'm sure the next step is to roll this out in more cities. That's the plan. So once we have a good foundation in Milwaukee and Chicago, we just launched in Chicago a month and a half ago. We've, we've been in Milwaukee since the summer, so we're pretty new. But the plan is to continue to expand and, and continue to build our base. This is, as I said, a problem impacting every single family, and it only gets worse from here. So if you have elderly loved ones and and you haven't had this conversation, it's an important conversation to have because most of them will want to stay independent, but you have to put in place a plan to help them do that. Ross, thanks a ton for spending a few minutes with us. I know you, I'm, I'm very certain you helped a bunch of families out there. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much. Big thanks again to Ross for coming down to the basement. And as I mentioned, we'll have more from him on our show notes page, stackybenjamins.com. All right, let's head back to our awesome conversation with Len Penzo from lenpenzo.com and Paula Pamp from Afford Anything. Let's transition here to <laughs> something I just love doing. Quentin Fortrell over at MarketWatch is the moneyologist and often, guys, if you're new to the show, we ask our panel a moneyologist question and we forget what the moneyologist says. We don't care about what Quentin says. I'll link to it for people that want to know what he has to say. But we ask our panel the same question that he gets. And this is a good one. It says, Dear Moneyologist, recently came upon your take on tipping for takeout. And I was quite surprised. You seem to be arguing you should give at least 10% and possibly more if you know the person's also waiting tables or if you frequent that restaurant a lot. You point out there's a difference of ethics and etiquette. I thought your column was more about the etiquette side of things, not the ethical, which even as you say is often driven by guilt. I don't think guilt should enter into the equation. As you stated, research has shown that only 14% of people tip for takeout, 14%, which to me indicates it's not the norm, nor should it be. Even to use your ethical argument, I can't believe that 86% of people would do the unethical thing. So let's talk about that. People are being paid $2.13 an hour by restaurants because of the law. And I guess, Paula, we'll start with you. Do you tip for takeout or not? I, You know, okay, so personally, I never really get takeout. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> Again, okay, I'm the, I realize I'm the weirdo. So I work from home, which means I'm at home a lot, which means that if I'm going to pay restaurant prices for a meal, I want to be outside of the house because part of what I'm paying for is just the ability to not be at home. The entertainment value. Yeah, I realize that sounds extremely pathetic. Paula, do you have friends? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, part of the value of that restaurant meal is just that I have a different physical environment around me. But let's say that you were going to take takeout. I mean, th th this really, you, you don't have yeah. to be somebody that's ever done it. You go, you get takeout. They put the stuff mm -hmm. in the bag. They put your silverware in. They box it all up nicely for you. They give you that receipt. The receipt has the tip line, just like if you were at the restaurant. What do you do? I would probably tip about 10%. You would? Yeah. 
because that money is going to get shared with all of the people, going to get shared with the kitchen most likely and going to get shared with all of the people who work there. And also, I mean, let's be real, like on a $50 tab, 10% is five bucks. Like for five bucks, if I can make somebody's job a little bit better or, or make up for the, the jerk who was a stingy tipper who came like half an hour before me, yeah, I'll do that for five bucks. If I'm dropping 50 on a meal, why not? Well, let's see what the other half of this equation thinks. Len, when you get takeout, do you tip or not? Well, now I'm more likely not to tip because I know Paula's coming after me 30 minutes after I arrive at the restaurant, so I don't have to tip because <laughs> she's making up for it. So Right. <laughs> you could be in the no, you 80, know what? 86% hey, I, not feel bad. I'm in that 86% when it comes to takeout. I, um, I don't normally tip. Now, here's the thing. I think we tend to overthink these tipping situations. If the person does something that genuinely makes you want to give them a tip, then tip them. If not, don't leave a tip. There's no obligation to leave a tip, especially well, for, for takeout. I'm talking takeout. So that being said, I will tell you when I go out to eat, and now we're not takeout, but when I go out to eat, if I have my regular waitress, I tip very well. I'll tip 30%. That's because she takes good care of me. She's worth it. So it's just, I think we're all guilty of overthinking these things. Listen to this though. This is part of the reason I overthink it. I was having this discussion about this topic with Shannon, who's the newest uh, member of our Stacking Benjamins team. I asked her about it and she had been a hostess at a restaurant before. Listen to what she said, because we were just uh, texting about this back and forth. She said uh, she does tip for takeout. She said, not as much as if they'd served me at a table or delivered it to my home, but some money. She said she worked at a hostess before, so she's not a waiter, right? So she's not getting any of the tip. They're paying her, the restaurant's paying her $2.10 an hour plus tips, right? Because of the law that says that because she's front of the house, she can share in tips, but at this one, she doesn't. Her duties were seating people and getting to-go orders together. And she said that she had to hound cooks to hurry up make containers of salad dressing, barbecue sauce, grated cheese, plasticware, put all that stuff together. Meanwhile, people in the front of the house are waiting for her because she's not seating them at the table. And she goes to give somebody some takeout. She's got a bunch of angry people and she hands off the food to the people and they don't tip her. She's making people wait in the front of the house and she's expecting a tip? No, well, she, well, yeah, because she's in the back of the house doing the to-go order because that's her job too. And, and by the joke. way, and, but yeah, that's right. And, and, and she's doing the she's doing the to-go order specifically. I think if it were me, I'm doing the to-go order first, partly because it's the only chance I got to make it a tip. I'm not going to make a tip if I'm sitting somebody at a table. Hey, go back to that previous article. Don't be a doormat. Right. Move on. Yeah. Actually, what's funny is later on when we were talking about this because we talked about all things tipping. She said, well, you know what? I moved on in a hurry. The boss, it, it clearly was the restaurant's problem, right? Yeah. That's, you just got to move on. There's no, that there's, you can't win in that situation. Yeah. Let's talk about other type but of, see, uh, oh, Paula. <laughs> yeah. I think that what this all really boils down to is, is the following. Um, the difference, if you actually calculate the amount of money that you as an individual, as Paula or Joe or Len would spend, between being a mediocre tipper versus being a great tipper, that difference adds up to what, maybe nothing, an extra 20 or 30 bucks a month if you eat out a lot. You know, like we're talking about for an extra like $200 a year, maybe $300 a year, depending on how much you eat out, which is not that much money for those of us who are eating out that much, you can just make somebody's experience a lot better. But so, it, you know, the marginal utility is high. And anytime that there's high marginal utility in the way that I'm spending money, it makes sense to spend money in that manner. But in this case, is it my responsibility? Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't know any of this. If, if I hadn't known Shannon and we hadn't done this this afternoon, I would have had no idea that as a hostess, she was being paid just over two bucks and that tips were a part of what the owner said. Is it my responsibility to fill in that income she's not getting? Uh, I mean, whether or not it's your responsibility, you have the opportunity to make her experience a lot better at a cost that to you is negligible and or a rounding error. So 
again, if you have the opportunity to improve somebody else's experience for such a marginal, like tiny, tiny amount that you're never going to really even see or miss, then why wouldn't you? You know what I know, though, Paula? I know that, but and you know this too, that Len Penzo saw that 86% of people don't tip for takeout, so he's done. <laughs> you know it. I told you, I've, I've, I was already in that. And and now, because Paula, I know there's people like Paula that are going to follow behind me on the takeout. Perfect. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Right. That's great. Let's talk about tipping in general, Len, because you've written about this extensively. You did a New York Times piece for it, right? Yes, I did an op-ed piece in the New York Times. And I think you can still find it if you Google Len Penzo tipping New York Times. I think you'll see. And there's uh, most people were uh, ripping me a new one. So uh, you, the, you <laughs> could read the comments after. That's more fun than my op-ed piece. But uh, Is that surprising? Because yeah. there's nothing I would rather do than sit around <laughs> blowing comments into the wind at people that just, you know, wrote stuff. Yeah, I could go write my own things or I could comment on something. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> like, why? Like, why do I sit at my computer getting angry at Len Penzo? <laughs> Your tipping idea is stupid. <laughs> Sorry. But, but, but let's talk about this. What are some people that you found controversy around tipping? What are some people I found controversy? What, yeah, what is, yeah, like like typically, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's not a good sentence, is it? But like, I'm thinking like the doorman <laughs> at a hotel, right? Your podcast host, don't tip the podcast host. <laughs> tip early and often, that guy. You got to tip that guy constantly. <laughs> Amen, Paula so, Pant. So you're saying, who do you think you should tip that maybe you don't get tipped? Or who do you, for like at the hotel, like the bus, like the like the, the gentleman who takes your luggage to your room? Yeah. The bus, the bus. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I tip them. Of I, course. I always say no yeah. to that guy because I'm like, I can take my own luggage. Here's another one I tip all the time. The maid. Talk about people who get um, neglected, you know, overlooked is probably the better word, overlooked. Every day I, I leave a $5 bill in my room for the maid. And let me tell you something, folks, if you want something from the, I mean, you will be, they're your best friend for, especially if you're there for like a week or what have you, they will take care of you for whatever you want. You just leave a note and you say, Hey, you know, would you please get me a, a firmer pillow or, or whatever? They will totally take care of you. And they really, I think they really appreciate it. So that's something that I, I don't think most people bother tipping. Well, but what's funny, I don't know if this is a piece of your article, Len, but five bucks. I mean, if you're paying a hundred dollars for a hotel room, I heard that's supposed to be 10%. Uh oh, oh. <laughs> you're the cheap guy. Are you saying I'm the cheap guy? <laughs> hey, hey, I'm holding to the, I don't think most people tip the maids. I just don't. Right. Paula, don't, maybe Paula, I'm wrong. Well, let's bring Paula in. Do you tip the maid? You know, I just found out about the concept of tipping a maid recently, like within the past six months, maybe maybe the past year max. Prior to that, I had no idea that that was even a thing that people did. So, I mean, now that I know about it, I think that's a fantastic idea because I I agree with Len. The maids, uh, the maid service in a hotel, probably very overlooked, and they're people, you know, often people who could really use the money and. Uh, they probably don't get tipped very often. And so I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't even know that that was a thing. Yeah, um, I found out about it because I stayed at a hotel and they had like a little envelope there um, where you could like leave tip money in. And I looked at it and I was like, what, what is this? A and then I Googled it. This is how unoffen some hotels maids get tipped. I left a $10 bill on the pillow once and I came back and the bed was made and my $10 bill was sitting on the dresser. And so the next, oh, and, and so the next day, I put it back up there again, and it was back on the dresser again. And the third day, I've had to put a note on. It. I said, "This is a tip for this. Is, this is for you. This is specifically for you." And it was gone. But it took the maid three days to understand. Yeah, that's why I say, Joe, I always leave a note because you know some of them are afraid they might lose their job. It might be a setup. You know, right. hey, right. but but I always leave a note. I write a handwritten note. Thank you. Uh, smile. You put a little smiley face, and you know the the penzos and and the money there. And you do it every day, and, and uh, that way there's no uh, misunderstandings. Well, that's good, Len, because I thought a guy like you, you just put lottery tickets. <laughs> you know what? Hey, why not? You never know, huh? <laughs> I could. Len, Len, you should leave him takeout. <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad, Paula. Like half Enjoy eaten takeout. Five dollars, peeping, right. Len. Right. That's right. Have the rest of the pizza we didn't have last night. Love, Len. It's so bad. I think that's a great and creepy and horrible place to leave it, but I think we're going to leave it right there. Guys, let's talk about what's going on where you live. 
Paula Pant, what's happening at the Afford Anything podcast and crazy blog? At the Afford Anything podcast, there's an interview with Jen Sincero. She is the author of a book called You Are a Badass at Making Money. So you will find that at the Afford Anything podcast. You'll also find a number of Ask Paula episodes, some of which feature one of the two fellas who happens to be on this roundtable with me right now. I won't mention which one. Oh, you'll have to tune in to find out. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Penzo, what's happening at LenPenzo.com? Hey, it's barbecue season again, so mm. I've pulled out my uh, annual Our Gas or Charcoal Grills More Cost Effective. So uh, stop by LenPenzo.com and uh, find out. It is it is that season. I love the fact, but you live in L.A. Isn't every day barbecue season? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You're, you're just talking specifically to your Minnesota fans right there. Yeah, right. And, right. and our friends in Canada, the ones that didn't leave us after we did the Canadian game show thing. But anyway, thanks a ton, guys. Okay, Joe. Oh, that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. And what a great kickoff to the new eight weeks, isn't it? Really, really fun stuff. So happy that Mary Pallon on Wednesday could come here and talk Monopoly. It's always funny when we have titles for our shows that are just about investing or getting out of debt. Tons of people come, yet probably one of the better, in my opinion, one of the better interviews I've had lately was Mary Pallon talking about Monopoly. <laughs> Fantastic. And a uh, little lower number, not not a super low number, but after the phenomenal Monday we had when Aaron Lowry was here about not being broke as a millennial, it, just amazing uh, contrast. That's not just true of this week, true of every week here. If you've been here a while, you know, listening to the Stacky Benjamin show, <laughs> you're going to get all kinds of stuff, not just what we put on the title. So speaking of that, let's talk about what's going on next. And then I want to close out our game from the last eight weeks. So hang in there if you want to know what we did the last eight weeks about the game. But coming up next week, starting on Monday, Jessica Wang is stopping by the basement. She's with iShares, the huge exchange-traded fund company. She works in exchange-traded funds that are socially responsible. They call it impact investing. And a lot of people don't even know what that is. And there's some things that I always thought about impact investing when I back when I was a financial planner, which was that you give up some returns. And uh, Jessica has a whole new way of looking at that. And I was excited when uh, she reached out and gave me some data. And I said, well, we got to get you on the show. And then on Wednesday, you're the star of the show because we're taking your letters and those are always fun. We're all over the map. It's like a potpourri episode. And then next Friday, a uh, good friend, blogger of ours, who we chat with uh, quite a bit on Twitter, Liz, the chief mom officer from chiefmomofficer.org. She's going to join us on the roundtable, and we're going to have some fun, Paula, Len, and Liz. That's next week. Now let's talk about the game. Hey, for those of you who are new to the show, we play a game here on Fridays because of the fact that, well, I need to entertain myself while OG is away. So in this particular game, it was something that was different, I said, either in the first couple sentences of the show on Friday, or it was in the title or the beginning of the description. In this case, the awkward part was I'd mentioned a date and a date that really didn't have a lot. I tried to, I tried to blend them in as much as I could, and it still just didn't really make a lot of sense. So hopefully your ears perked up there because... And just to give you a couple of them, I talked about September 20th, 2013. I also talked about uh, 1928 as a couple. Of course, that was uh, AT&T was the second one and Nike was the first one. And those were just dates when companies were coming into the Dow Jones Industrial Average. By the way, thank you to Roxana. We sent Rox a t-shirt for uh, creating that game for us. If you've got an idea for a game in the next couple days, because I have an idea also, I'd rather use your idea though. So send me a note, joe at stackybedjamins.com and we'll play your game idea instead of mine. And I'll also send you a t-shirt for that one. But you don't care about any of that, do you? You care who the winner was. Actually, there's only a few people that care who the winner was. So I got to tell you, we're going to send our friend Dan uh, something. Dan has already won, as I explained before. He's won before. So, Dan, uh, we're sending you a a Stacky Benjamins t-shirt. I don't know. Dan's won stuff before. I don't know if he has one of our tees. 
but Dan's been listening to the show for a long time. So whether he's got one or not, we got some new designs in our t-shirts, stackyourbenjamins.com forward slash shirts. There's a new Monopoly one. Then there's a Ben Franklin riding a bull and uh, slapping the the stuffing. I, I guess that's a good word. I was going to say a different one. Slapping the stuffing out of, out of the bear. So our great designer, uh, Brad Lark, over at Flying Pork Apparel, dude is a fantastic designer, makes those for us. So uh, check those out if you're interested. But anyway, Dan's getting one of those. And then right after I said that nobody won, our friend John, remember John from Oklahoma who was on our Canadian trivia? John might not know much about Canadian trivia, but he certainly knows this game. So John's getting a prize pack. And then I have to say, uh, just, oh man, maybe a day and a half after a Steve came through with it. So Steve, we're sending you a t-shirt also. This was a hard one. We had three people that got this one right. Where the last one, I think we had 28 or 29 people that, that got it right. So we'll start our new game again next Friday. I'll tell you what that game's all about at the end of next Friday's show. Because as I mentioned, we're still putting the final touches on that thing. All right, go stack some Benjamins. We'll see you later. Special thanks to Ross Kimbarovsky from Respect. You can find out more about their home care strategies at joinrespect.com or on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com. Len Penzo appears courtesy of the cryptically named lenpenzo.com. Susie Orman appears courtesy of... Well, Susie Orman doesn't appear on our show, but if she did, she'd be courtesy of SusieOrman.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC. The show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Join us Monday when we talk about impact investing with BlackRock's Jessica Huang. What's it about? We'll find out together on Monday. See ya! None of that got taped. I'm not taping. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. No. no. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that, caught that now. None of that. Yeah. And that was epic. That was good. Can we, can, can we, I'm, I'm afraid to redo the peeping thing. I don't think I want to do that. All right. No, we'll do it. <laughs> Here we go. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is, Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.